Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of QSR Uncut. I'm your host, Danny Klein, the editorial director here at QSR, and joined by my colleague and co-host, Ben Coley. So we are stepping into the world of quick service chicken today, which um, we just released our QSR 50 recently. And the chicken segment was actually home to the uh, two highest average unit volume brands in the top 50, which is interesting if you think about how big chicken has become far more than just a sandwich. So with all that said, we are joined by El Polo Locos, VP of Digital Marketing, Gabe Alonzo. So Gabe, first of all, thank you for joining us. Um, I will open up the floor here for you for a minute just to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your road to the role you're in today and a little bit about the brand and what you do there. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. I'm uh, really happy to be here. Um, so yeah, my name is Gabe Alonso, um, Vice President of Digital Marketing at Pollo Loco. Um, uh, we oversee a lot on the digital side of things. So I, I uh, myself and my team, we handle social, web, CRM, uh, our loyalty program, which encompasses also our, our new app as well, um, PR and, and influencer marketing. So We've got basically the entire digital consumer experience under under our wing, um, and so I like I like to think a little bit that we handle while we are digital, we kind of do IRL and URL a little bit, um, which is which is nice, keeps things fresh. Um, I've only been at El Pollo Loco for a little over a year now. This is actually my first stint in the QSR industry, so. Um, I think to say that I've been learning a lot and learning a lot quickly would be an understatement, um, but it's been a really exciting ride thus, thus far. Um, I've been able to kind of impart a lot of my, um, let's say, previous experience into you know various components of what we're doing now. Um, I've, I've had a pretty, um, uh, I would say I feel very privileged for the career that I've had and, and the brands that I've gotten to work with. Um, actually started my career at, at MTV in production, working on shows like the VMAs and, and the movie wars and a lot of live to air event specials. I wanted to be in the music industry. At the time it was 2007, music industry was basically kind of tanking a little bit as was a lot of the economy. And it was thankfully help, uh, able to get into MTV and it, it was fantastic. Um, you know, I, I always say that I kind of, I grew up at MTV a little bit post-college. Um, and then uh, after that, I went to the agency world for a couple of years working at 360i in New York. So I'm actually originally from, from the East Coast, um, born and raised in Jersey, moved to New York. And um, uh, that's really where I cut my teeth in digital and kind of started down this path that I'm on now for digital marketing, content strategy, social marketing, et cetera, working on mostly CPG brands, um, but in particular Oreo. Um, and I was on the team that sort of began its I guess millennial at the time evolution because we were a Gen Z before Gen Z was Gen Z. So, um, and from there, I had a couple stops. I was lucky enough to get to to Nike, where I ran global social for the Nike running category, and then transitioned into a membership uh, team. So, um, kind of on, I would say in the, in the first phase of what we know now to be Nike membership, um, helped launch the the Nike app. Um, and uh, eventually oversaw product marketing for the NTC app as well, so the Nike Training Club app. So um, fitness, retail, sportswear, all very close to my heart. Um, and I took a, a bit of a, of a leap into gaming at Activision where I led CRM um, for Call of Duty. Um, and that's really where I would say I cut my teeth in sort of segmentation, audience, uh, audience segmentation, uh, data marketing, data-driven marketing in particular. Um, uh, it was uh, it was 
crazy working on a title that is literally bigger than the biggest movie and it launches every year. Like it was just like that kind of scope, uh, especially if gaming was one that wasn't particularly exciting for me. Um, and yeah, and then most recently before El Pollo Loco, I was at PepsiCo where I led the uh, the digital uh, marketing for the energy drink portfolio. Kind of got a chance to smash together all my passions, uh, music, gaming, and sport. Um, working on Rockstar Energy and Mountain Dew Energy. So, um, you know, kind of excited to bring to EPL this uh, love of culture, love of youth culture in particular, um, as we continue to evolve as a, as a company and a brand, but in particular, continue to target younger consumers and figure out how to bring them in. So for me, something that's very close to my heart, um, as well as also being Latino myself, I'm 100% Cuban. So working on a brand that kind of works with my culture um, and is a part of my culture kind of broadly was something that was very compelling. Um, well, Gabe, for, first of all, you pronounced El Polo Loco way better than I did, which was uh, my version of <laughs> I it, got was, it. I got it. <laughs> was, was terrible. Uh, well, you're, I mean, your resume has got to be of the, of the people we've talked to probably one of the more interesting, um, things I think we've ever heard. And I, I guess the question I have is, you know, how you ended up in the restaurant space, you know, what that opportunity looked like, because I mean, if I was on the El Polo Loco side, I mean, I think anyone listening they heard your resume and saw it's in the desk, you know, you'd be hired. <laughs> so, I mean, we get it from their side. I'm just curious for you, you know, what you saw in that space that really interested you to go from, you know, Nike, the video games to, you know, quick service chicken. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and thank you. I mean, again, I, I feel very lucky and kind of honored to be able to have these opportunities. Um, I think, you know, from even starting off back at, the agency of, of uh, I think social media, you know, what now, 10, 12 years ago, um, has always kind of been the center of youth culture. And I found that like youth culture and sort of experience marketing have kind of been things that I've always enjoyed. And digital, social in particular, has kind of always been at the center of that. So all the roles that I've taken, um, though they've been in different industries, have all kind of centered around that. How do you use digital social to create experiences for consumers, right? Um, sometimes that might just be content and it's just the thing you see on Instagram that day or now TikTok. Um, but other times that could be a product experience, like a digital app or something bigger, right? Um, and so um, for me, that's kind of been the through line um, that, that I've been able to, to manage and find throughout throughout my career. And frankly, what, what um, uh, kind of, well, I guess what convinced me to, to jump into QSR um, you know, previously our, our CMO, Andy Rebin, who's now chief experience officer at, at Kava, um, you know, he, he um, uh, put together a very compelling argument for his vision of where he wanted to take the brand. Um, and it very much was, you know, we are we're driving a digital transformation. We are starting to um, uh, really target younger consumers to bring them into the brand. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, it felt like a, a fantastic challenge to see, okay, and I've done this for bigger brands, right? Um, um, now you're talking about a Southwest regional brand who is clawing away and chipping away at the, the larger brands in the space. And I think from a culture perspective, actually has um, uh, a leg up on being able to speak to and engage with the Latino consumer, probably more so than, than most brands do from an authenticity perspective. Um, you know, we are a born in Mexico, raised in LA brand, and a lot of our consumers are similar, or if not the opposite, where they're born in LA, but raised by Mexico in that culture, right? So 
for me, it was an incredible storytelling opportunity um, from uh, from product, uh, like actual food product, which is phenomenal. Our chicken is the best in the biz, in my opinion, but I'm, I am biased, um, uh, to our digital products, and then as well as the potential experiences that we can create culturally. So for me, it was a phenomenal challenge and one that um, frankly, Andy uh, was made a very good argument for, and and um, I, I I was I was up for it, and I was ready to to dive right in. So it was really less about I wanted to be in QSR, and more about I think the opportunity of this brand in culture with its product is uh, one of the best out there at the moment, and like we we have a phenomenal opportunity on our hands. Um, before Ben asks you a question, because I know he has one, I'm just curious: Are you good at Call of Duty? So define good. Um, <laughs> well, are, you know, are you are you like one of the uh, shark your, type of people out there? You know, what's the... your KD, bro. What's your KD? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't. I, to be honest, I don't even know what my KD is anymore. But um, I, my buddies and I, we play a lot of ranked, and so I, if mm. you're familiar with the rank system, I was like gold two, almost gold three. So I'm like squarely like fiftieth percentile of at least competitive players so i've gotten way better than when i started i was not good when i started you could ask my team i was horrendous but i'm generally positive so i'm over one and on the kd side of things generally if i'm playing regular (laughs) mp so yeah i'm i I am personally terrible i um i've been playing that plunder thing they did recently oh yeah and and i like it because you know people are focusing on things other than killing me so i'm i'm not (laughs) as uh I'm not a, I'm like less vulnerable than I was before, you know, because there's people out there actually ha- having strategies and I'm just, you know. Hey, you know, if you can play the objective, every team needs the objective guy. So that's usually what I end up becoming when I play with my friends. So I hold it down. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm that guy who's trailing the other guy getting shot. And then I might shoot the guy who's shooting the person in front of me. <laughs> My friends all make fun of me for doing that. <laughs> hey, the third party is a good is a good strategy sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, so Gabe, you've been you know like you said at the, on the job for about a year now. Um, yeah. So, I would imagine that you've learned a lot of lessons along the way. Um, and you've come from a variety of experiences in the marketing world, but I was curious to see you know what things the specificity of the restaurant industry, the nature of it. Yeah. Um, in terms of marketing, what are some of the biggest lessons you feel like you've learned about this industry in particular that you, you know, I guess you weren't quite aware of, you know, before you landed in this role? Totally. I mean, I, I as soon as you started talking about what lesson, I immediately knew what I was going to say. So mm-hmm. um, honestly, the, the, the sort of the ops and restaurant impact of what we do, right? I think um, as a marketer and other brands, you're, you can sometimes... Uh, you know, you can be a little uh, maverick about it, right? You can say, we're just going to do this. We're going to make it happen. Take the budget, boom, create something. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're creating something that is uh, a new offer, a new, a, a bundle, you know, something that could drive additional foot traffic into stores, and which is great, but we don't have the ops teams on board, it just creates a havoc, right? And I think for me, I came in being like, let's go, let's like think big and do crazy stuff and let's go fast. Um, but if you're not bringing along, you know, partners in general, but specifically the ops team um, and ensuring that you're communicating all the way down into the, the front lines with our frontline workers to our area leaders, our GMs, and obviously our franchise partners, um, things can go south 
really quickly, or you're going to have a lot of people mad at you. And, um, and, you know, and I'm kind of oversimplifying it, but like at the end of the day, I, I, I just wasn't aware that like it, it's logically, it makes sense, but it just had never been something that I had to think about. And so it wasn't until, you know, I got my, my wrist slapped a couple times that I was like, you're right. I'm sorry. We'll, we'll make sure now. And so now we have new processes that we like the first people we talk to is the ops team to make sure that, you know, they're on board and aligned with the things that we're, that we're doing, creating, whether it's in the loyalty program or um, issues with features that were like, Hey, this could cause problems on the front line. Here's how to explain them or things like that. So, um, you know, definitely, uh, the biggest lesson was uh, making ops your best friend because uh, without them really our market, a lot of our marketing wouldn't be possible. So, well, I'll, I'll tell you, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with marketing people. You're not the first person to have endured that lesson the hard way. <laughs> uh, that, that is often a very, very relevant um, disconnect, but I think I would say that it's becoming less so as um, digital marketing becomes part of it. And you also see a lot of uh, marketing people now as, you know, former CMOs who are now CEOs that that road has definitely picked up, I feel like, across the industry. And so market is marketing is being seen less as, I think, you know, a, a function outside of operations than it probably was 10 years ago. Um, yeah, I mean, it's good. I, I- I would agree. Yeah. And I think it's fantastic. Um, I mean, if anything, I think, like I said, you know, marketing and ops need to be hand in hand with everything. Um, uh, and, and, you know, like I, a long time ago, any, I was told that, you know, your idea might be good, but it's not until you involve other people that it can become great. And I think for in, in the QSR world in particular, you know, a great, a good or great idea can be made even better um, by ops teams who know the consumer touch points or consumer pain points kind of intimately um and and using that to our advantage so do you um do you guys use threads is that a, is that a thing for you so um we did hop on threads we we are active on it we jumped on it early um my director digital was um very obsessed with it for you know the first week or so i would say um and we continue to post on it um but i think for us at least for me, um, it's, you know, stay, uh, keep it warm, but it's almost like a, like keep it warm and see strategy. I'm, I'm not convinced that it's going to be a major player yet though. You, you know, I'll never not bet on, on meta uh, to, to an extent. Um, but I think there was an article where they've all, you know, they've already lost like half of their active users and sign up. So, which is yeah, not surprising. Yes, Everybody jumps in, right. They're excited. All their friends are on it. Twitter was, or X now was imploding, <laughs> or at least it seemed like it was. So it was like, yeah, we're all going here. Let's like, you know, land grab, right. It was like a gold rush. Um, and now things have kind of calmed out They're calmed down, you know, X is still around. And so Threads is kind of like, well, now I just feel like I'm doing the same thing in multiple places. It's not even yep. like a TikTok versus Instagram Reels. It's just, yeah. it literally feels the same. So I, I think we need to continue to wait to see what distinction it brings, either in media opportunities or feature sets to see whether it really takes off. Yeah, I mean, that that to me right there is the issue with it. It's just like, I don't want to be on both, you know? And then you, you're like, all right, am I going to give up all these years of time I spent on... Yeah you know, whatever you want to call it now, yeah. you know, and then hop on this new thing, which is essentially the same thing. And I got to, you know, if, especially if I'm like a marketer, I got to take, you know, one message and now I got to put it on another platform, but it achieves the same thing with 
ha- you know, far less yeah. users on it. <laughs> you know, and at the same yeah. time, like, you know, for us, I, I would say like, you know, essentially what is, what is right for us? We don't need to be on every channel all the time. We need to be on the right channels that make sense for us where we feel our consumers are playing and then we go deep. I think right now the focus for us needs to continue to be creating content for Instagram, TikTok. You know, we're, we're looking at um, YouTube and YouTube shorts um, and to see, you know, what our possibilities are there. We already have plenty of places to create content that are at, that are at scale. And so, you know, it's always nice to keep your eye on some of these up and coming platforms. Um, and though, again, it's, it's weird to call something from meta up and coming, but um, you know, I'm, I'm not convinced that it's gonna, I'm not convinced yet. And so I'm like, if we're going to spend time, if you only, if you only have 40 hours to play on platforms, spend them on the places where we're already like, you know, we've, we've embedded our claws in them, uh, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it. Um, uh, because that's really where we're going to get the dividends, at least in the short term. You know, Gabe, one of the more impressive parts of your, um, your tenure at El Pollo Loco, I mean, nine months into it, you guys announced that you have a new rewards program and an updated app experience. So I was curious, um, you know, when you, when you guys, you and your team started that process, was it, you know, immediately when you came on board, that was the idea of you guys would start that or how soon were you guys thinking about remapping um, this app kind of take us through that process of how it went? Yeah, it's a great question. So yeah, I joined uh, last July and, and effectively, um, you know, even, even during the interview process, um, you know, when I was chatting with, uh, Andy at the time, he was already kind of intimating that this was something that he wanted to get done, um, pretty quickly that our program had been around for some time already, uh, it was since 2015, it had gone through one sort of update in 2017. Um, so it was due, it was due for a major facelift. Um, and so when I came in, uh, ba- basically the remit was all right, like this is your project like make it happen. And there had already been some work. The teams had already started um, like putting some decks and strategies together. We, we had a sense of who the, the vendors were that we wanted to use already. So thankfully I, I didn't have to do everything from like, I wasn't coming in with no, nothing um, kind of created. The team had already sort of gotten the ball moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I came in and we, we kind of hit the ground running to be totally, totally frank. Cause yeah, I mean, uh, I started in July and by by the end of March, we had a new program and a new app. So we moved we moved quickly. Um, um, but I think the the new program is a great one. We went from uh, you know points convert to currency to points earn redeemables. Now um, we've created a tiered system. So we have the three tiers of membership. You can be a pollito, so small pollo. You know, on your journey to being a fully realized uh, pollo loco. Uh, Pollo and Pollo Loco, um, and then we have uh, a slu- uh, four tiers of redeemables as well. So you can use your points to, to um, you know, get get offers and, and and products that you love. And so we're excited to give the consumers more agency. We feel it's a better digital experience as well. And the app is beautiful. It's at least I think it's beautiful. For my nerdy brain, it, I think it's uh, from where we were. It looks way better. Um, it's a little bit more minimal in in sort of its design, cleaner. Um, I think it gets you to purchase faster. So um, we're really excited what we were able to create, especially given the short time frame. You know, I think what you guys did is very representative of what's been going on in the industry the past few years. A lot of brands, you know, as things kind of went digital, a lot of brands have rushed to, you know, create their own loyalty programs. 
And um, but it kind of re reminds me of um, a story I just wrote about a uh, Wingstop. Um, you know, large brand um, across the nation, but they don't ha yet have a loyalty program. They've kind of been resistant to um, to do one, and they're they're kind of atypical in that regard um, of not having one. Um, so I guess I want to ask, um, I guess in general for you, if you can kind of put in perspective how important the loyalty program or which program is to your brand in particular. And if in your marketing opinion, I, mean, I know you've only been in the industry for a year, but in your marketing mm -hmm. opinion from what you know, how sustainable you think it would be to um, continue on in this post-pandemic era with, you know, such um, digital expansion to kind of go forward without a loyalty program? Or do you feel like that might be something that's um, more table stakes in the restaurant industry? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It's a, a, kind of been thinking about this broadly. So the way we, the way that I've positioned our loyalty program and digital product experience is that it's the sharpest expression of the brand's relationship with its consumers. Mm -hmm. So and that's sort of the aspiration, right? We're working towards that. And that then implies a certain level of personalization and relevance, a level of like, we know who you are um, and a certain value exchange, right? That maybe you wouldn't be able to get otherwise. And that for me is really what the loyalty strategy is about. Mm -hmm. is about you know how it's 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 a retention strategy right and over time you hope that it's frankly less costly <laughs> to retain your your consumers than it is to acquire them that's why you have this program to keep them in um and, and the value exchange then is one that you can eventually sort of you know look at the profitability of it all right um and we're kind of we're, we're working towards that to ensure that we're um, kind of moving in the in the right direction but to me, loyalty isn't a, a digital play. It is a brand experience that is powered by digital. And so that's it's a mindset shift that I think we have started to do or to, I guess, like fall into. And one that I would say the QSR industry likely is starting to think about as well, where, you know, these aren't products on the outskirts of your kind of you know, brand ecosystem or your consumer experience ecosystem. It should be squarely at the center. When you think of digital products <clears throat> as a brand tool, not a purchase or conversion tool, it starts to shift your thinking on the experiences and the things that you want to create with it, right? So that's kind of my first one. You know, I think I read somewhere most recently that like the average American is in 17 loyalty programs. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, which I'm like, yeah, that sounds Jeez. about right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I think if you're going to go into a loyalty program, um, you need to have a value proposition that is distinctive and unique to you and worth having. Um, and so if you don't and your business is still doing well and you can provide value in other ways, like that maybe how like Wingstop is, you know, obviously I can't speak to how they want to run their business, but clearly they think they're doing well. Um, I mean, I, I'm in their CRM. I think they're, you know, they, they do CRM well um, uh, and emails and the like. Um, that could be enough and you don't have to worry about standing up, you know, something broader, but they do have an app, they have a great email system. And so between those two things, you probably have, um, they probably, if I were looking at it, I'm like, they kind of have loyalty without having loyalty, um, without calling it that, which for a, from a consumer perspective might be an advantage because they're like, I don't want to be in another program, but yet they still feel like they're getting um, value. I think for us, I love the idea of creating a family. We, that's one of our core values. So again, not only the brand, brand experience piece, but it's also our way of being like, welcome. You're a part of us now. Like now that you're with us, it's going to get better for you. Like welcome to the familia. And as like Latino culture, all that, it just, 
it fits for us. So, you know, it may not be for everyone, um, but I would say make sure that you have a value prop that's distinctive and look at it as a brand experience, not a digital business experience, because I think that will shift how you approach your roadmaps and the types of value that you create through that experience. Yeah. And, you know, I'll say as a consumer, I, I think redeemable loyalty programs now, which I'm glad there are more of those, you know, where, you know, kind of like a caribou coffee, for example, where it's like I work my way into tears to get certain things that I might want and I'm given, you know, five different options. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our, our, our uh, friend of the podcast, Andy, over there at Kava, you know, it's that's the other side of the token where, you know, you spend X dollars and get a nine dollar, you know, reward right. to go toward what you want to buy. And and if he's listening to this, I, I would like them to change that so that I could then <laughs> buy certain things with, with my rewards points I'll instead of getting nine dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he was he, I think he was actually one of our early guests. Um, but but yeah, I mean, obviously, everything is different by the brand. But you know, I will say that that tier program, I'm just kind of curious, you know, in, in terms of how, you know, you looked at it and, and structured it and then the flexibility it maybe offers you for the future. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Starbucks is is really, um, you know, they kind of set that into motion, I would say, and they're really do a great job of, of making you feel kind of a VIP program as you climb up. But how is that unfolding with, you know, EPL here, you know, just in terms of, um you know, that relationship and continuing, you know, to stoke it as somebody stays with the brand? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. So, um, you know, for us, so again, right, we have our, our three tiers of membership, as well as the tiers of redeemables. And as you move up in tiers, you actually earn points more quickly. So that's like the very first way that we say, like, you know, the more you do with us, the better it gets kind of thing. Um, and so we have a points multiplier. And, um, you know, our our goal is um, as this program continues to mature and this, this latest iteration is to figure out ways to continue to reward our most valuable consumers. Look at, I mean, we've looked at our audience, we've chopped it up. We know who's buying the most and who's really driving the bulk of our sales um, from a loyalty program perspective. Um, and so we want to start thinking about, okay, how do we give these people different experiences? We did a Dia de los Muertos event last year. So we were able to go into our list and invite our top, you know, our top spenders, our top loyalty members in the LA area to this event. And, you know, again, treat them like part of the family. And so we're looking for more ways to create experiences that we can then invite our, our kind of extended familia and community to that are who are a part of the loyalty program um, as our, our way of saying like, you know, it's not just about the food. It's, it's about, you know, everything else as well. Um, and then when it comes to the, the offers, you know, um, we're, what is it, August? Uh, so we're four months into the program. And I think we're just now starting to get decent um, kind of directional information on what's working, what's not. So we're already starting to plan, okay, what do we want to change out? What do we want to add? Um, we know what, what tiers maybe aren't giving as much value as we thought they would give um, kind of originally. Um, and so, um, you know, we feel we can be very flexible with this program. Um, and, uh, you know, we're excited to continue to evolve it. So you mentioned, um, you know, the, the history behind El Pollo Loco. It's a, a mixture of that Southern California and that Mexican, Mexican um, fan base. And so when it comes to uh, loyalty and customer acquisition and, you know, kind of, you know, speaking, you know, to both sides of um, both sides of those coin, 
I guess what's the the key to um, kind of maintain that balance, kind of keeping a foot in both those worlds, and and also um, trying to maintain um, authenticity. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's probably one of the more difficult things from a marketing perspective is coming off as as genuine and actually you know connecting um, with the with the customer, especially the younger consumers who. Yeah. It seems like nowadays their um, their meter for BS is, is pretty strong, so yes, they're really is. good at kind of discerning, you know, what's real and what's like not really um, on trend. So and they don't have emails, which is something I'm starting to figure out. My brother is going to college in two weeks, and he has no email. Like he has no oh, personal email. It's gonna be the first time he's ever had an like, email. It's probably Snap. It's you know, it's text messages. It's DMs. Yeah. Um, so Ben, I feel like you're you've been in our brand meetings because like this is like literally what we're talking about all day, every day, myself and my my brand colleague. Um, so you know, I think for us, what we've seen is our distinction is the fact that we have this strong connection to Latino culture through our American heritage, right? Mm-hmm. And our opportunity in that regard is Latino culture right now is having a moment. Um, you know, Bad Bunny was headlining Coachella. Oh, yeah. He was on the cover of Time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, had a number one album, first Spanish language album ever, you know, ever to be number one. So, like, you know, musically, it's having a moment, and there are tons of other artists. Uh, you know, Rosalia, Carol G, Becky G. Like, they're they're we're at, we're everywhere, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. And so, for me, Latino culture is no longer niche; it is pop culture now, and that thus is our opportunity. So, when we think about you know. What our what um, consumers we want to target? We do feel that we can use Latino culture and our heritage to target not only our Latinos and specifically our you know our, our Mexican families, etc., but also general market because like we are part of a general pop culture at the moment. And when I say we, I mean Latino culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for us, that's kind of the opportunity that we're trying to jump on. Um, to to see if we can't expand not only kind of through our heritage, but then to also make sure that we're targeting um, general market and and you know to that end too. It, <clears throat> granted, in digital and social, we can be a little bit more focused uh, in terms of that Latino culture and young like, multicultural Gen Z kind of audience. Um, <clears throat> but from our product perspective, that's when you know we have a nice balance of our family meals with our LTOs. Um, and we can kind of talk to both our core audience, which is that family, you know, mom and dad pick up dinner on the way home from work, et cetera, for their kids with the younger consumers who like more portability, craveability, um, and, and, and innovation. So, um, yeah, I mean, we see it as a massive opportunity for us and, and one that through our product offerings, but also, you know, through our, our channel strategy, we can talk to kind of everyone and use our culture as our distinctive advantage. Yeah, and the, the restaurant designers themselves, too, with the new one that came out with a couple of years ago, kind of the fire flames and all that cool stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Definitely a restaurant chain I wish was was here, but it's I don't think there's anyone anywhere near <laughs> where we're located, unfortunately. <laughs> well, never say never, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> if we yeah. do our job right, hopefully that'll change. Let me see. I'm trying to see where the – well, I guess for us to get – get one the closest would be like uh louisiana or something um yeah we're north carolina so uh yeah i saw the the tar heel shirts i was like north carolina oh yeah 
yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, there's Ben there for you. I got. I have no no personal allegiance to any of such things. But Gabe, don't get me started on my Tar Heels because that that could be a, a long long podcast. conversation. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So. All right. Next time. Next time. <laughs> where did where did you go to school, Gabe? Uh, I went to a small public school in New Jersey. It's literally called the College of New Jersey. Um, oh. It's like 15 minutes outside of Princeton. Um, it's you like might be their most famous alumni. Yeah, I grew up in the Northeast as well, but Jersey to me was just a place that I drove through. I never got out of the car. <laughs> it is, it's a beautiful state the further south you go. The North... Well, actually, like North, like in New York, by New York State, is gorgeous, wooded, forested. Everybody thinks of Newark as Jersey. It's there's way more uh, to Jersey than than just Newark. So. Well, all, all my friend, all my friends who grew up in in Manhattan and Brooklyn and stuff, they all live in New Jersey now. You know, they live right across the water. You know, Hoboken or whatever, and they just exactly. you know take that Jersey train in on the up and up. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's just, I mean, it's as, it's just as expensive as uh, living in Manhattan apparently now. It is, yeah. But um. Not, not here nor there, uh, you know. <laughs> um, well, Gabe, before we let you go, um, you know, is there any topic you want to just kind of mention to people so that, you know, perhaps something in terms of what to expect from the brand they might want to keep an eye on? And I know there's been a lot happening in this, you know, first year on the job for you, but I imagine it's only going to ramp up here more a year two. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think uh, what I'm excited to continue to work on is a lot of this cultural piece and see how we can't continue to insert ourselves into the forefront of cultural conversations around Latino culture and culture in general. I feel like that's the next step for us is really um, continuing to refine our brand and, and just how we show up to all our consumers. Um, but again, in particular, my, my passion is with Latino consumer and Latino culture and how we can continue to be a force first locally in Los Angeles and then figure out how we can't take the, you know, the country by storm um, with either the content or experiences we create. Um, and then, you know, if that's sort of like the brand culture piece of it, um, you know, we continue to have some incredible innovations coming your way that I'm uh, excited for you guys to all try. Um, so keep an eye out for those clearly. Um, and then lastly, you know, um, continuing our pattern of digital transformation and leaning in, um, you know, we are continuing to get smarter um, when it comes to, um, our CRM uh, leveraging uh, machine learning to drive uh, s smarter offers, um, better communication so we can really get to that aspiration of right message, right consumer, right time, um, and eventually right channel as well. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited um, by the work that the, the CRM team is doing led by Olivia Ross um, uh, on our end um, on the incrementality um, that we're driving at scale. So, um, yeah, those are some of the things that I'm excited about. Oh, that's right. I, I forgot Olivia was over there. She's always been a friend of our brand too. Yeah. Yeah. She, um, you know, we, we were talking back in our Halo Burger days, but that's, that's great. You have a awesome team for sure. And, and at some point here, um, Ben and I are going to have to stream ourselves, uh, playing you and call of duty would be, Oh God, I have not played that since college. <laughs> I'm not going to be... make it even better. Oh, 100% play. We got to do it. It'll be fun. <laughs> I'll just, yeah, I'll just, I'll just bring over uh, Ben to my house. The next we'll... version of this podcast will be while we're playing Warzone. <laughs> It'll be perfect. That would be amazing. So, 
Ben will just be like one one kill, seven hundred deaths. Yeah, <laughs> I have not played that in the longest time. I, I just can't aim. I can't get the thing to actually like aim on the person. Like I'd like be like right on the person, and I like just empty my chamber, like just trying to kill the person. And like, yeah, that's me too. I get super nervous. I'll be, ch- I'll just be yeah. like, I'll be walking, and some dude will come by, and like he'll be like, he's there, and you just like, <laughs> we all start screaming. Things. Where I play with my friends and I'm like, okay, my almost 38 year old reflexes cannot keep up with these kids because they're just, yeah. they, it's, it's a little much. I'm like, I can't. This is as far as I go, guys. Well, at least we're the, at least we're the same age. That makes me uh, feel better. Yeah. Although, <laughs> although you, you, you've accomplished a lot more probably than I, <laughs> but, 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 but that's all good. Um, you actually, and you actually have two more years to potentially be one of our uh, young leaders to watch. So we'll have to get you in there next year. Oh, that'd be great. I appreciate oh. that. What an honor. Well, actually, no. Is it thirty? Did we change the cutoff to thirty-five? Yeah, it's, it's still thirty-five. Oh yeah, uh, never mind then. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because I, I aged out of it two years ago, and it was really sad. Well, I appreciate the thought. It's yeah, that counts. So. Yeah, if you if you had come to this industry earlier. Um, Fair. <laughs> All right, Gabe. Well, it was a pleasure catching up. Um, yeah, we'll definitely keep uh, track of the brand here going forward. We'll look forward to uh, seeing what happens next. Awesome. Thank you both. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, of course. And for everyone who out there who's listening, as always, we appreciate it. And we'll see you next time.